Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, Charles Christian with us, an English barrister and Reuters correspondent turned writer, podcaster, award-winning tech journalist, and sometimes werewolf hunter. He now writes and talks mainly about folklore, urban myths, history, and the strange and weird. And yes, an English Fleet Street newspaper once did commission him to go on a werewolf hunt on the night of a full moon. He didn't find one. Charles, I'm glad you didn't. That could have been a strange uh, meeting up with a werewolf. (laughs) It could indeed, yes. uh, A slightly bizarre thing. I was rather hoping that... um, it was just a very large dog, but um, in the back of my mind, <laughs> there was this thought. <laughs> well, welcome to what the program. Is? Welcome to the United States. You're uh, being heard on 650 stations all over the country and in, uh, in North America, so we'll have some fun with you tonight. Thank you very much for inviting me on, George. And how are things in England these days with COVID? Well, we're heading towards supposed Freedom Day on Monday when the all the... Uh, regulations go away and i think everybody's in trepidation because um the delta variant is surging so um we're wondering how long it will be before there's a u-turn and uh it's back to masks and um lockdown again los angeles county has just mandated effective saturday masks go back on again when you go inside and they want them for vaccinated or unvaccinated people Strange thing. Yep. Yeah, and it's spreading across Europe, continental Europe as well, and a um, number of country, countries over there who've eased off the rules and now reimposed them, so we'll wait to see. Tell me about your early career. How did it all start? How did it all start? Well, um, as you mentioned in the uh, beginning, I was a barrister in London. Those are the. Which is a lawyer the lawyers, in this country. Those are the lawyers who wear the wigs and gowns. And um, I then moved on into journalism, but I'd always had this interest in um, the the occult and folklore and legends and weird stories. I think that was really from childhood. You know, I grew up at a time when television wasn't um, as... uh, pervasive as it is today and in winter evenings we'd all sit around an open coal fire and my parents would tell stories and ghost stories and spooky stories and um, I lived in a distinctly spooky house. Oh you did? Did somebody pass on in the house or what happened? Well it's a very old house on the seafront in um, a uh, Yorkshire coastal town called Scarborough and it had been built up and built on over the centuries as the uh, seafront had receded and they'd uh, built wharves and things and so they extended the house and it had strange lofts on the in the roof area which um, had been used as a shelter for ship wrecked mariners to take them in there and some had passed away there and uh, a psychic friend of my mother's said she could definitely hear the sound of seamen in their large uh, boots um, 
marching around on the floorboard. Wow. Which was very cheery for me as a child because I slept immediately below it. That's right. That is a spooky and, house. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there were odd bits because um, it had been sublet and split and then rejoined. So the interior really didn't make a lot of sense. And there were passages that just went down into the ground and then stopped for no apparent reason. And there was, I was remember there was a, a staircase that was hinged and swung open to reveal another cellar beneath it. And it was, it was very spooky. And when the wind blew, the house used to shake in a rather spooky way. And uh, uh, it was as if someone was grabbing the bottom of my bed. Um, you know, I'm talking here, I'm a, you know, child of five or six and just given the bed a shake. And, uh, Which is horrible for a little it. youngster to go through. It was indeed. It was indeed. And I say, um, I think with hindsight and the, you know, the, the, as, as you grow up and you know more about psychology, I, I think my parents were probably a little bit dysfunctional and they used to give me very weird advice. And um, uh, my father once told a tale of uh, when I was out on the rock pools, there was a shoreline there with a beach and um, uh at low tide, there were lots of rock pools. He always said, always take a knife with you. And I said, why, why for? And he said, well, uh, a friend of his, was when he was at school, was dabbling in a rock pool, and his hand was gripped by a conger eel. And he couldn't get the conger eel off, and the tide came up, and he was still trapped there and drowned. Oh, my God. And uh, so I said, so the idea of the knife is that you stab the conger eel. And he said, no, the idea of a knife is that you cut your hand off. <laughs> and I think he was serious about it. He probably it. was, yeah. And, and, you know, later life, when I tell it to people, they say... <laughs> well, what would you do, no drown or no cut your hand weird, off? Charles, yeah. <laughs> Two horrible uh, choices here. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I say, uh, I think some of those things reflected on me, and... Um, uh, what really got my interest, because um, it was at the time when, uh, it sounds like ancient history, but in the 1950s, um, cars were starting to become available, modern cars as opposed to sure. you know pre-war cars and things. And uh, a big thing everybody did was go out on a Sunday afternoon for a drive in the country. And um, one day we were returning home and we went past a particularly derelict property. And um, my mother mentioned, she said that during the war, this is the Second World War we're talking about, um, women in the Royal Army uh, Service Corps, they were the people who uh, drove munitions, lorries, um, and supply lorries, uh, for the army so that the men could be on frontline duty and the women were sort of, you know, work, working in the um, homeland. Uh, they were given special permission to detour up past this house and take a long way round rather than go the short way because it had a reputation for being haunted and um, it was thought it would be wrong to send a woman on her own in a truck past this haunted house at night. And that struck me as odd because, you know, there was a war on and um, fuel was 
short in short supply. That's what all the Atlantic convoys were about. And yet, here was somebody in the military saying, yep, um, we take this ghost thing so seriously, we're allowing you to use extra fuel and go the long way home. Um, so I say, it, that, that triggered my um, interest, and it was uh, a story that really prompted me in later life to investigate this particular area of England where this uh, tale had been told and to collect together lots of other ghost stories from around that area and weird stories. Oh my gosh, you've got more than a dozen stories we're going to go through. How did you collect them all? Well, um, some of it was word of mouth. Um, Some of it was sort of old folklore and some of it was just research, and you look up one place, and you look for one thing, and then you sort of see a little footnote somewhere, and you see a reference in another book. And as the time goes on, you just collect them all, and then you can link them together. And uh, so it went on, and um, uh, I collected for a book called uh, The Wold Newton Triangle, which is all about this particular area of England in uh, East Yorkshire. And um, that came out about five years ago as an e-book. There is a print one coming soon. And then more recently, I've done one on the area where I live now, which is in South Norfolk, which is um, anybody who was in the who had parents in the uh, American um Air Force during World War Two will be familiar, familiar with East Anglia because it's the oh, yeah. it, it sticks out Absolutely. and is closest to Europe, and so it was full of American air bases. And is that the book uh, called Shockland? Shockland, yes, okay. indeed. And that's about this particular area of East Anglia. And again, it was I'd heard a few stories and picked up a few stories and. Uh, I'm always intrigued to find where the stories come from and what the origins is, of them is, and that's one of the things I find fascinating. I'm going to I'm going to let you, Charles, pick a few of your favorite stories and just tell them to us. Okay. Well, I mean, um, say one one of the things, obviously, when you're talking about these uh, times, many of the stories began several hundred years ago when people weren't educated, and science wasn't so strong. And so... um, And they didn't have media and TV and social network. Exactly. And um, stories would spread, and no one really had any way of debunking them or proving them. And so they took on a bit of a life of their own. Um, There's one I particularly like, and it's one of the key stories in the um, in my first book, The Weird Worlds book, and it was the one that later led to the werewolf hunter. That was just five years ago. And it's of a werewolf called Old Stinker because Old the werewolf's Stinker. breath was apparently so vile and putrid from eating carrion. Jeez. And this werewolf, it's, it's intriguing because 
Werewolves aren't a natural part of English folklore. Um, they have them in Europe, they have them in North America, they have them in other parts of the world, but they're not really um, an English um, an English tradition. But there was one, and it was just a few miles from my hometown where I grew up. And um, it was said to lurk during the Middle Ages, you know, a thousand years ago, and it took the form of a human who would um, go around market towns and spot which travelers were heading along a particularly lonely road at the end of the day and then transform into a wolf and seize them and eat them. Now, there were actually wolves in this part of the world at that time, and it was such a bad problem with wolves, particularly in winter when they'd come down from the high yeah, ground and um, start scavenging in the lowland, um, that a hostel was built there in the 10th century, um, specifically to provide travelers shelter from the night and so that they weren't eaten by wolves. Um, wow. So there was this element of it. But also, then we come to 1066 on all that with the um, Battle of Hastings. But before the Battle of Hastings, there was the Battle of Stamford Bridge when the Vikings came over and had one last attempt to invade England. And there was a huge big battle there. And these Vikings landed on the coast just near where this werewolf um, was said to lurk. And the army marched inland. And the feature of the Vikings, as anybody who's seen the television series will know, uh, they featured berserkers, people who thought they were imbued with the spirit of wild animals. And some of them would wear a bear skin around them and little armor. And others would wear wolf skins around them and little armor. And I just find it a coincidence that there's an area where there's tales of wolf predation, where there's also tales of werewolf, and where in 1066 an army of Vikings clad in wolf skins came marching through. Now, you know, you imagine you're a, a peasant lying in a barn hoping the Vikings won't come and kill you, right. and you see these blood-splattered Vikings wearing wolf skins going past. Scares the living daylights out of you. Well, it scares the living daylights out of you, and you'd think, are these wolves that are men, or are these men that are wolves? And of course, that's really where you have the werewolf from. So, you know, it's just intriguing that um, there's these strands linking it all together, and that the later folklore legend spreads of this werewolf, but it may be a combination of the Vikings and the Viking heritage and um, the actual wolves that used to be in that area. Is the legend of werewolf still strong in that area? It got a revival. There were, um, there have been later sightings, there were sort of the tales of stagecoaches back in the sort of 18th century being attacked by wolves, um, and there was even in the 1960s um, a tale of a lorry driver, a truck driver, who had his vehicle attacked by 
a large wolf-like creature that he was able to drive on and, and leave it. But um, he described seeing it in the distance and first of all saw these two red eyes, uh, but he thought they were actually the taillights of a car and it was only later he realized it was a giant wolf. Um, and then we had the revival a few years ago, which is when I got involved with the uh, werewolf hunt, where there were reports of a giant wolf-like creature lurking in a nearby town um, just to the south of this area I'm talking about. And these people well, who we, reported this, they were darn serious, weren't they, Charles? They were, they were, they were completely serious, yes. Um, and the area where they were reporting them was in quite a spooky part of the town uh, with an old um, canal running through it and lots of derelict buildings and uh, the right because of industrial waste and things the the canal always had a bad reputation because people had fallen in it and drowned and um you know had steep banks and they weren't able to get out they always had a bad reputation and uh, when the weather was in the right way it would be very foggy and misty and the wolf had been seen this creature had been seen prowling around there and there were tales of people seeing it attacking other dogs and dragging them away and oh uh it was thought that it was something more than an actual wolf uh that it may have been the werewolf and i was contacted by a newspaper and suggest and rather jokingly i said it sounded like old stinker had come back from the undead and was haunting the area again. And he might have. And, eh? He might have. And he might have, indeed. He might have, indeed. Um, and uh, it then sort of took off and became, you know, a, 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 an internet 15-minute wonder. And um, <laughs> there were masses of stories and newspaper coverage on it and uh, in the UK and continental Europe. And... Uh, on radio shows and things, so it was it was very popular. Anyway, one newspaper contacted me and said, you know, as you wrote the story, original story about Old Stinker, uh, would you like to go on a werewolf hunt? And um, I said, of course, and dragged my wife along with me. My gosh! So this one did. Thank God <laughs> you didn't find that? one. Exactly. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.